Thank you for joining us for this episode of What the Finance. There are a few things we like to mention at the top of each episode. First, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email what underscore the underscore finance at protonmail.com or join the What the Finance Discord server. Second, it would mean a lot to us if you could support our show through Patreon. Starting at $3 a month, you can get episode shoutouts, access to topic polls, and get to listen to some pretty hilarious outtakes. And third, as we seek to be a more inclusive show, we want to acknowledge that colonialism is an ongoing process, and capitalism, which we regularly decry, is part of this process. We are recording this episode on the ancestral land of the Dakota and Ojibwe people, and we recognize our sovereignty and express our gratitude at being here. Welcome to another episode of What the Finance. Cheyenne and I are both super thrilled to be joined by Steph Huccio, who is the head of Podcast Editing Plus, which is a global community of audio professionals, which if you are an audio professional, you should totally join because it's just a fantastic community. And we are here because Steph has spent most of her adult life abroad, although she grew up in the United States. And we have been curious, actually Cheyenne and I for some time, about what all is involved when you're looking to leave the United States and move abroad. So Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rachel and Cheyenne, for having me on here. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for joining us. I feel like I say this every single time now. This is an episode we've wanted to do for a very long time. (laughs) And we've been waiting to find somebody to talk to about it. So this is perfect. Fantastic. No pressure at all. No pressure. (laughs) No. (laughs) And let me just say to the listeners, I'm coming to you from Rome, Italy, which is a very noisy city. So just in case there's any residual city noise, that is the flavor of Rome. (laughs) I would not have assumed that about Rome, to be honest. I think I would have like thought the opposite, actually. Possibly more in the north, but I haven't spent much more time up there. But Rome itself is very concrete and very, you know, the the typical scooters and things like that. Well, they're noisy. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as, yeah. Yeah. As you're saying it, I'm like, it makes sense. Yeah. I think they did it kind of ground us in your journey, Steph. Before you moved abroad, where where were you coming from in the United States? Yeah, good question. I was born and raised on the East Coast, but honestly, I spent about 10 years in Cal- in different cities in California before I went abroad for the, well, before I went abroad for the first time as an adult, because I had been abroad with my parents hmm. when I was a child. But the first time solo was when I was 30 and I was coming from, where was I coming from? I think at that point I was <laughs> loosely based in San Francisco. <laughs> so then was it your like travel with your parents? That inspired you to move to move abroad or was it something else I don't know I, I guess the thing is when we went when I was a child it was to most 99% of the time was in like relatives houses because my parents were both from Italy so we went back to visit mm-hmm. family and as a kid sitting in someone's like kitchen for hours on end every day wasn't extremely exciting but there was something about getting to see other places along the way to our family's houses <laughs> <laughs> that I think did plant a seed in me where I knew there was different and there was other, there were other food and other flavors and other sounds. And I think it did plant a seed that I wanted to see more. 
And so, yeah, my, my whole childhood, teenagehood, I always thought I want to go see a lot more of that. It just, there wasn't a, the culmination of, of finances and time and knowledge on how to do so didn't happen for a very long time. And then I know the there's been a lot of moving around the continent in the last several years. Has that been intentional? No. Okay. No, that's been very pandemical, which should be a word. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now. That's it how English now. works, right? <laughs> yeah. No, um, my, my living abroad has been in, in pretty distinct, unintentional, but pretty distinct uh, buckets, I guess we could say. One is when I would backpack for a few months and then come back and recoup financially. And the second is when I taught English overseas. And that was the biggest chunk. That was about 12 or 14 years, something like that. And then the third chunk has been when, uh, two years ago, two months before the pandemic, my husband and I tried to move to Germany to settle down. And we were both job hunting when the pandemic hit and we can guess how that turned out. And um, so we accidentally have turned into digital nomads for the time being until something more stable in a place we want to be in comes along. So yeah, the moving around every few months now is not intentional, nor do I want it to be long-term. <laughs> but it's, it's better than not, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess with the, with your buckets of time spent living abroad, like in that first bucket, if you're, you know, backpacking and then coming back home, what did that, what did that look like for you in a money sort of way? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, very messy. Um, <laughs> I had actually moved, before I moved abroad, I had moved back to the East Coast just after graduating from university at the ripe old age of 30. And when I came back to California, because I realized I'm no longer an East Coaster, I didn't, I didn't fit in. Not that I did in the first place, but I really didn't fit in. So I went back to California with almost nothing left. Like I got written rid of all my stuff and I, you know, left my job and all that. So I had no attachments, but I was back in the place that I, the, the state that I considered the most home. And so I very accidentally ended up kind of living in hostels, like long-term hostels for a while. And I met all of these international travelers that were traveling on very little money. And I realized that I had been waiting and waiting and waiting to save up tons of money to go travel and, or live abroad when I didn't need to. And so I ended up staying longer in the hostels to just kind of do not accidental research, but just to kind of meet these people and get a sense of how they did it. And I was like, I could have moved into an apartment sooner, but I was like, no, I, I love this atmosphere. I'm learning about all these people, all these cultures and how they're traveling on almost nothing. And so I ended up spending, I want to say six or nine or 10 months in different hostels in mostly in San Francisco. Again, if someone with like a California driver's license staying in a hostel, it was kind of tricky because, you know, it's meant for travelers, but I was I don't know. I just love the atmosphere and I was learning so much. So I took a lot of what I learned from those folks on what to do and what not to do and how flexible to be and ended up getting a job at a hostel, ironically, in Rome, Italy <laughs> in 2000, spring of two, 2002. And that was the first time that I went abroad as an adult. Really cool. I imagine things might be different now than they were mm -hmm. then, but to get that kind of a job, do you, is there like a special sort of visa that you have to work in a hostel abroad? Like, what does that? <laughs> I love that you think it was legit. Um... Okay, well, that's why I was kind of no. hesitating. Like, it's, it's this, 
sitting here as someone you who know. just turned 50 a couple of months ago, I'm like, how, why did I do these things? <laughs> no, it was completely under the table. Okay, and okay. Uh, yeah, there were two of us that ran the whole place. And then the, the owners would come in occasionally and go, yep, that's okay. Everything's fine. And they'd leave again. And it was the two of us running the whole thing. <laughs> And they'd pay us in cash and we got our bed for free, which is the biggest thing because Western Europe has always been expensive. Mm. So it was the bed for free plus some cash and just being in that environment. Uh, again, hostels are very, they're very cool places to hang out in. So it was just, um, yeah, it was just kind of nice. But no, it wasn't, there were, there were no benefits to that um, except for, you know, not paying exorbitant rent in Western Europe. And at that point, to answer your question, there were job boards on travel websites like hostels.com, hostelworld.com. There were just job boards for like, they call it casual work at that point, but it was basically working under the table. I have no idea if any of this still exists. I haven't looked in like 15 years or so. Well, I mean, if you don't need to, right? Like, why would you? Yeah, but that was just at the beginning of the EU and things were still willy-nilly. So I'm sure in Western Europe now, it would be almost impossible to get something like that. It's much more strict on not having those kinds of jobs available. Right, right, right. So you can't just like, you can't just enter the country and say, yeah, I'm just visiting and have them go, oh, okay. Yes, <laughs> won't, never. Mm-hmm it's much less likely to be especially advertised on somewhere online where it could be seen but I'm sure it probably still happens there's probably still a casual economy somewhere I just I have no idea if it's still how it still is but that's that's how I got my start so I would uh work in hostels for a few months and I would switch countries switch hostels and then come back when I was I don't know bored homesick broke and start all over again (laughs) So what countries have you lived in? Ah, it's been about 20 years and I'm going to get this totally wrong. Um, well, Italy and countries tricky when we get to Edinburgh because Scotland, the UK, whatever you want to call it. So I lived in Edinburgh in a hostel and then Ireland, Republic of Northern. And then I back, not working in hostels, but staying in them in the Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovakia, and I'm probably missing somewhere else and then I started teaching overseas so then it was slower it was like yearly switches so uh, the places I lived in were Taiwan Vietnam China Malaysia Japan the UAE I guess we'll put Germany in there even though I didn't work there I still had a daily life for almost a year Um, Albania Croatia that's probably most of them like what's your favorite part of living abroad and then flip side least favorite (laughs) oh gosh favorite part is is the new I'm I'm the type of person that likes to be surrounded by different and to be like a state of confusion is very comfortable for me (laughs) I like I like to touch down in a country and not know what's happening and try to guess what people are saying what they're doing how things are done I I like that kind of cultural confusion it sounds very strange but that's that's where my brain kind of works the best is when I'm totally unaware of cultural expectations and so that's one of my favorites and within that the misfits that exist within other cultures like my the misfits like myself who have kind of fingers and legs and all kinds of things in different cultures 
are totally okay because they're not expected to be from that one place. So it's kind of like this comfortable cultural confusion place that a lot of us can hang out and be weird with each other. And so that kind of community is also really nice. My least favorite thing is with living in multiple places, you get attached to certain people and places and things and foods and shoes and the weirdest stuff. And when you leave there, sometimes you can't experience the, the people, places or things ever again. And so you're constantly have this yearning for things in all these places, like a piece of you is left in all of these places. And even if you go back, it's never the same. <laughs> um, that makes sense. Yeah. You'd mentioned earlier that you were just before the pandemic looking to kind of settle down a little bit and in Germany, was there a particular reason for choosing Germany or? Oh yeah, yeah, long, 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 long list. Well, it's not that long. Stable economy, uh, good air quality because we had spent a number of years in, in countries where pollution was the norm, uh, mm. where air pollution was very bad. Work-life balance, um, good healthcare, uh, relative safety, which for me includes not a high uh, gun uh, carrying place, that kind of thing. So uh, those are the main bits. Yeah, kind of the opposite of where we were for years and years and years on end. Mm. Is I wanted uh, an outdoor place that was safe and that I could sink my teeth into and just stay permanently. Oh, and the ability to, because the economy is so good, once you're in the system, um, it's a five-year path to residency. And yeah. So I was kind of hoping to stop moving, period. Is that is that still the goal? No. Oh, no. No. I mean, the goal is to stop moving. Yeah, yeah. But not there. A lot has changed with my own professional development since uh, we moved there in January of 2020. And my current business no longer really fits into the very rigid structure that it would need to be in to live in Germany. Okay. So yeah, it's no longer a match, but it is still a pretty darn awesome place to live. Just not for me, for mm. us right now. You have then like a, um, like an option two that would be a good fit for what your business looks like now. My business now is all online. So as long as I'm in a place that doesn't have a very unforgiving tax structure and I can afford to live there for long stretches, I would be game. But for me, it would have to, for long-term, it would have to have those things, the out, outdoorness, good medical system, safety, blah, blah, blah. And that those things are actually the hardest parts, globally speaking. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> it is wild how different it looks now than it did three years ago. Yeah. I am obsessed with full-time travel. Like it is, it, if it weren't for my spouse and like she needs that financial stability and stuff. So <laughs> if it weren't for that, I would travel full-time. Okay. I keep hearing this travel full-time term and this is rarely pretty, um, not rarely, this is pretty new to me, this term. Um, I, I know expat, I know backpacker, I know digital nomad, but travel full-time to me, like, okay, when I started living abroad, I, there was a term called round the world travel, where you literally would take a year, 
and go like different countries, like every few weeks. And that's what I hear in my head when I hear long-term travel, but I don't think that's what people mean. So can I ask you, what does that mean? So I, I think that in general, it means different things to different people. So what it means for me yeah. is that um, I would love for us to travel full-time in the United States to start in our camper. I would love to go see all, all of the states and then eventually uh, to go abroad. That's, that's like the dream. Mm -hmm. And I, pre-pandemic, I would often encourage her, she's a teacher, I would encourage her to apply to teach abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, now, not so much. <laughs> but um, so that's kind of, that's what I mean when I say it. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's what everybody means. I do know that there are some, I, I know that it's become increasingly popular in the last five years. Yeah. And then even more so since pandemic, it's, it's it, as best I can tell, I mean, it's, it's become glamorized on social media, yeah. um, which is both great and a little bit frustrating because there are people that are starting to do it without having done the research, not realizing how expensive it actually is, mm -hmm. really. Um, Rachel and I talked about this in a Tiny Living episode in which there's this mentality that living tiny and traveling is somehow cheaper than living in sticks and bricks. People listening won't be able to see my air quotes, but they were there. <laughs> um, and more often than that, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, where I'm from, I, you're, I'm, I'm from uh, northern Minnesota. I live in a relatively rural area. And so that is definitely not a cheaper option. If I were from San Francisco and that's where I had been living full time, potentially could be true to be a cheaper option, but it's pretty rarely it, a money saver. <laughs> and yeah, it, it really, really, really depends on a million factors. Right. Um, but in general, it's not like back when I was backpacking and I literally had a bag and lived or slept in a room with like 10 other people. Yeah, it was cheaper than having my own apartment. But that's, I mean, that's not really sustainable for most people for the rest of their lives. You know, that's not, or even for a long term, that's, that's a very short term kind of, we're doing this to have the budget to do other things kind of existence. Mm -hmm. um, and especially right now, oh my gosh, can I just tell you the rents in Western Europe are insane right now. I know there's high inflation in the US too, but we're mostly using um, Airbnb for our like one month to three month rentals. And because people are starting to travel again and because of just general inflation and now because of uh, electricity slash gas issues and, and so on and so forth, like rents are going up so high. I'm seeing studios for like 14 to 1400 US dollars a month to 2000 studios with very uncomfortable furniture and some of them asking you to pay utilities. <clears throat> I just read something two, three weeks ago, specifically talking about that. Um, I don't know how I came across that, but it, it was essentially like the prices increased like 30 or 40% mm -hmm. in um, European countries, like yeah. just boom, all of a sudden, I, that reminded me. What are um, what are oil 
prices over there right now? I have no idea. I, I intentionally do not drive, so I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. And we are very, very carefully picking our Airbnbs to not pay utilities. So I'm blissfully unaware of the actual numbers that go with it, um, but aware that we're hearing people talk about it a lot. But I, I yeah, I don't have numbers. Sorry. But it's always, I think fuel um, for transportation-wise has always been considerably higher in Europe. But I think mm -hmm. because of like sanctions and things that Germany and other places are doing, it, it's increasing as well, but I'm not sure exactly to what. That almost, to me, it speaks to the appeal a little bit more of Europe versus the United States and that in a lot of the continent, it is actually possible to say, oh no, I just don't drive. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> So yeah. in my day job, I work at a university um, and was working with a student who was planning on moving from New York City to, so I live in the Twin Cities metropolitan area in central Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a significantly smaller metropolitan area than New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and this very young person was saying, oh, well, I'll just get a bus pass. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Get it, right? This is not New York City level public transportation. Uh, you know, I uh, actually my my work life is swapped from when I first moved to the Twin Cities. I used to um, live in St. Paul and then um, drive to school in the city that I currently am living in, and now it's opposite. I live where I live, and I work in St. Paul. They're about fifteen miles from each other, mm -hmm. my car got stolen at one point as a young yeah, adult. Thought about this. Yeah, well, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, it took me an hour and a half on the bus to make it 15 miles. I'm so, impressed there was a bus for the route. Because oh, it, there isn't. It was yeah. a bunch of transfers with four transfers. Sure. <laughs> so, oh my God, four transfers. In 15 miles. The thing about public transportation in America that sets it apart from Europe is there is there's a priority in Europe to make transportation accessible to people in America that's not a thing so for instance we where in the area I live are having conversations around a train system that would connect us to the metro area Mm -hmm. And we have quite a bit of opposition because the argument is that it will never sustain sustain itself financially. Yeah. Well, that proposal's been on the table for like 15 years, so yeah. I don't have high hopes. <laughs> no. You know, I did. I I <laughs> stupidly did. And so I'm just I'm like I I I'm angry about it all over again. Um, cause it's, it's been a conversation the last couple of months up here. And I think that saying that because something is not going to financially sustain itself is the dumbest reason ever mm -hmm. for not doing it. Like, do you not, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm going to start swearing a lot if I keep talking about there, this. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. There are so many other reasons how it benefits society than just a straight dollar amount, like so many. And actually on my list earlier of like, 
pollution and all kinds of other medical and that kind of thing. Public transportation actually was one of the things that I was looking for as well, which is part of the reason why we're hopping around Europe three months, three months, three months in different places instead of coming back to the US. It potentially might be easier to be in the US during the pandemic, but because we don't have to deal with visas or anything, we can, we can live there legally for however long we want. But coming back means potentially getting a car or or two, depending on where we land um, work-wise and, and living-wise and stuff. And it's just, I can't, one, I hate driving, two, the expenses, the environmental damage, and so much, else, just isolating to be in a car versus to be in public transit. Yeah, it's one of the things that I really yeah. dislike about the US. And we had, we had public transportation and we tore it all up and went car heavy. I mean, it was a choice to tear up the public transportation infrastructure that we had in the United States. I mean, that's that's a oh. sick choice as far as I'm concerned. You're preaching to the choir, like 100%. <laughs> oh my gosh. So in, in this obsession with travel that I have, I have like probably one of the worst cases of wanderlust that there ever was. And I married somebody who craves stability and consistency yeah what we were thinking I will never know it actually it, I that's not true I do know it works out very well great balance she keeps me quite literally grounded because otherwise I'd be in like who knows where right now <laughs> I tell you what's really funny public transit wise is when we lived in Tokyo Japan when their their public transportation system is insane insane just it, it's it's huge it's fast it's it's just so good. The only bad thing are the crowds. If you go on YouTube and look up um, uh, Tokyo subway during rush hour, that's, it's horrible. It's, it's crowded to the point of knocking the wind out of you. But, but when they're one minute late, they will apologize. Weird. There'll be an announcement with an apology that the train is going to be one minute late. And by train, I mean metro. I'm not, I don't even mean long distance trains, although they do that too. But any lateness is serious. Like they're on it and you can go almost anywhere with the sh with the local trains and the long distance trains it's almost anywhere it's so that's just wild to me because i again with this obsession i have i've been mm -hmm. like really consistently watching um youtube videos of people taking amtrak trains across the country here um, <laughs> which now is added to my list of things to do yeah um I've somehow, I'm not sure how I've convinced my wife that this is a thing that we should do and she's fully on board. I don't think she, I don't, I don't think she understands what she's actually getting herself into. It's fine. <laughs> like everything else she'll realize at some point and, she, and she's very chill. So she'll be like, whatever. But in one of the videos that I was recently watching, they were saying that Amtrak trains are notoriously at least 15 to 20 minutes late, at least mm -hmm. because they share the railway with commercial trains yep. who get the priority because that's who owns them yep. and yesterday as I was listening to this all I could think was only in America and I get to throw it in and I'm super sorry if you're offended by swearing fuck capitalism <laughs> <laughs> I get to say it like every episode it's yeah. the thing yeah it's it's so crazy yeah yeah anyway, when we were in Berlin the monthly passes were like 90 euro which is probably just over or just under 100 us dollars and people bitched up to one side and down the other and i'm like as opposed to owning a car no wait i can go anywhere that the metro and buses go for a hundred dollars a month sign me up <laughs> right. right pretty yeah. much yes 
transportation is such a, it, I mean, it's been a discussion in the United States for ever. It's, yeah. I, I mean, it's a huge country and so much of it is so inaccessible to a majority yeah. of the people because we just don't have the infrastructure for it and we refuse to pay for it because it's not financially sustainable on its own and it's just stupid. <laughs> and this is why we have a finance podcast. <laughs> well, Jeff, we're kind of coming close to the end of our time here. Is there anything um, that like we haven't talked about about like moving abroad or like preparing to move abroad, live abroad that we haven't talked about that you think would be important for people to know? Yeah, I've got a quick list. Can I? Oh, yeah. Something? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Love a list. Because okay. <laughs> one of the questions that you mentioned was what I did the first time I went abroad. And honestly, I was a mess and I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm, I'm quite happy to experiment. But what has really helped me is learning along the way. <laughs> so I've got a quick list of some things that some of the most impactful things financially that I learned along the way. First and foremost, it doesn't matter if you're traveling long-term or if you're live, like moving overseas, pack half as much stuff and bring twice as much money. That is the best single piece of advice I ever got. And it was from a book. <laughs> I don't remember which one, but yeah, because the stuff that you bring either won't work, you won't need it, or it just won't be for your lifestyle in that place. So just bring as little as you can and, and more money because things will be available. If you're coming from the U.S. and you still have bills or uh, a financial footprint in the U.S., literally purchase a U.S. phone number that doesn't have a phone attached to it and purchase a U.S. address. There are companies that do this and that way you will have a consistent phone number and address no matter where you are in the world. It will make banking with your U.S. banks so much easier and so many other things that you don't even realize now and you can again purchase a lot a lot of the the mail forwarding systems are meant for folks who would like a would yacht around the world or whatever that it started with that but it's now accessible i think ours is 150 or something us dollars a year for a place that gets our mail scans it and emails it to us and it has been a lifesaver financially expat or traveler groups on facebook twitter what have you ask people who are there now for current information videos are good Articles are okay, but someone who's there in the place at that moment knows the most current prices, knows any tricks or anything that might be a blip that you don't know. And so asking them in real time is really, really helpful. And there's tons of groups, either by city or by country or by region. You can find so many groups in so many places online. And last thing is grocery stores. Not just for groceries, but if you're traveling long-term or if you're on a day trip or you just get to a place, Go to grocery stores and get either pre-made food or like try to like find someone local to help you understand how to make the local food. Grocery stores can save you tons of money. Even the pre-made stuff that is more expensive than cooking it yourself will still save you much more than going to restaurants, except for in North uh, Southeast Asia. <laughs> but in general, grocery stores are a huge type of money saver. Interesting. I would not have thought to go the route with the pre-made, which, and I mean, we, tr we travel quite a bit as is, but I pack a lot of our snacks and we do a lot of like trail mix type stuff and beef jerky to get us through. But we also, we spend a ridiculous amount eating out when we go places. Cause I'm like, well, I have to try. <laughs> and a lot of times you can try them in grocery stores. That's the thing is it's a bit spoiling using Italy as 
probably cheating. So I'll use Croatia. Like we would go to a grocery store in the Dalmatian Palace, which in Split, which is like the touristy area. And we'd go into a grocery store, like a spa or something and go to the pre-made section and they'd have like locally cooked dishes in it, like a small takeaway size for like maybe $2, the equivalent of $2. And it's local food made, you know, right there but it's not like it's a sit-down restaurant or something. Granted, you have to find a place to eat it, but mm. it's just if you're looking to save a little bit more on one thing, spend on another and still get a local flavor, it's a, a quick way to do it. Uh, as a teenager, I traveled to France with my grandparents and we did that. <laughs> uh, we did that exact thing, actually like uh, supermarkets kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. At least in France, they also have a lot of um, like roadside sandwich stands. Yes. Yeah. Those will also save you a lot. Well, in an effort to not keep you too, too long, thank you so, so much for joining us. And is there anything that you would like to say about your business or anything, anything like that before we close out? I guess I'll just give the place. I mean, I do a podcast editing, but it, it's constantly changing and growing and expanding. So whenever people are listening to this it might be different so i'll just give the place and people can go have to check it out if they want to they're curious i have to spell it because my name is not quote unquote normal whatever that means uh don't spell it slowly it's very awkward dot com stephfuccio.com and it has all of my podcast three stuff including services but also articles and my own podcasts and different things on there oh yeah Steph thank you again so so much and I'll make sure also to include your website in our show notes uh such as they are Uh (laughs) (laughs) it's an area for growth thank you this has been a lot of fun I love the questions they're very insightful and very curious I like it I miss talking about this stuff and I hope the world goes back back goes forward to something more less scary soon.